Friends, thanks for joining us for our final conversation in our Finishing Well series. This series is focused on how we, as people of faith, can enter into seasons of our life marked by transition, with purpose, and hope. We've covered topics ranging from retirement to declining health, to the end of a marriage, to leaving home. Today, we're talking about one final transition, death. I'm privileged to be joined by our own Janet Patterson. She shares the story of her journey with her husband, Grant, who ultimately passed away from ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. She tells of their courtship, their long years of marriage together, and how both walked towards Grant's death in the face of an incurable disease with hope and purpose. Death is never an easy topic to discuss, particularly when we consider our own, but an essential part of a good life is preparing for a good death. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's jump into the conversation. Well, Janet, thanks for joining me here today for this next in our series of conversations on finishing well, how we as people of faith can step through some of life's endings with faith and hope. Uh, I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad I hope I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) I think you can. Okay, good. so today we're talking about um, one, of the, one of the big ones, one of the big endings of life, which is the end of life. Mm-hmm. And um, wanted to have some time to sit with you and chat um, about Grant and about his end of life and your journey through that together. So uh, I was fortunate, I've, I've told you this many times, got to tell <laughs> him this, I was very fortunate to get to know and spend time with Grant, but we know that not everybody who's watching right. or listening got to do that. So can you tell us about Grant, both just who he was as a man and um, who he was to you? Well, he was the love of my life. (laughs) I met him when I was 17 years old. I had a terrible thing happen to me. I had lived in the same town, gone to the same school for all my life. All my family was there, my grandparents and everything. And my senior year in high school, what would be my senior year in high school, my parents moved and I had to move with them. Mm. I had thought I would stay, but I didn't, so I had to move. So I moved to the uh, town, adjoining town, and had to start my senior year with a bunch of strangers (laughs) and leave all my friends and all my things. And I guess it was God's wisdom because I would have never met Grant probably Mm. if I hadn't. And it wasn't love at first sight or anything. It was just, you know, he was there. I met him right away, but he was... You know, a lot of other people that I couldn't remember their names. Right. <laughs> so that was sort of the beginning of it. And I think about the third week of school, one of the senior cheerleaders quit. And I'd been a cheerleader at my other school. And I was leaving to go home. And Grant, and he was captain of the football team and the co-captain. And they came up and they said, are you going to try out for cheerleader tomorrow? I said, well, that would be kind of funny since I only know 10 people. (laughs) I said, it'd look funny if I just voted for myself. (laughs) And he said, no, I said, the football team's talked and we want you. And I said, well, I'm flattered and honored, but it's going to take more than the football (laughs) team to get me elected. (laughs) So he said, well, think about it. So that went away, and that's all I knew. That's the only exchange I'd ever had with him other than just meeting him and say, hey, in the hall or something like that. So in the, the next morning, he was there when I got there, and he said, you gotta go down and sign up. I said, well, 
I'm not sure I want to sign up for <laughs> Anyway, long story short, I did get elected. Don't ask me how, but he told me I would, and I yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> so you would think that was the beginning maybe of something, but it wasn't. I never, I didn't have any classes with him because they just put me anywhere as a hmm. transfer student, and he was in all the honor classes and all that. He was a smart guy. Yeah. And so I never saw him. Mm-hmm. Ever, except one time, I think during that and you know later in the year, he was in a class right room right before me, and he came out, and on the way out, he said, "Have you got your homework to me?" And I said, "Well, why do I need to have my homework?" I said, "Why?" He said, "You're going to have a pop quiz." I said, thank you. I ran in there and studied as hard as I can. And I probably wouldn't because I hadn't looked at it. (laughs) So that was good. So nothing else ever. And then much later, like it was February, I think. So that's half a year gone by. I was walking down the hall one day and he said, are you? have you got any plans after the ball game tonight? And I said, no. He said, well, and everybody rode around the dairy bar and everything after the ball game. He said, I said, well, it was a Thursday night. It was a basketball game. And I, I said, well, I'm, I got to get home sometime because I got to study for a test tomorrow. He said, well, let's just drive around the, the dairy bar a couple of times and I'll take you home. He did. And then he asked me to go to the movies the next night. And I said, well, yeah, that's Friday night. I can do that. So he came to my house and I, you know, was going to introduce him to my parents and all that. And came in the living room. There was a piano in there. He said, you play the piano? I said, well, I play at the piano. (laughs) Okay, but I'm not fantastic. I said, do you play? He said, yeah, I play. I said, well, sit down and play me something. And he did. Well, long story longer. My, they, he did meet my parents, and we did play the piano, and we never got to the movies. <laughs> we stayed there all night playing that piano. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's just, great. yeah, we had a great time. He said, well, you want to try the movies again tomorrow night? <laughs> and my mother said, y'all need to leave, not play the piano for you. <laughs> right. right. So we did, and that was sort of it. We had a great time, and mm-hmm. then... That was on a Friday night, and he said, do you go to church? And I said, well, yeah, I do. I go to, but I said, we've just moved here, and I said, my grandparents are not well, and so we go back mm-hmm. there every weekend, just about. So I said, I've been several times here to the Baptist church, but I said, I, you know, not really. He said, well, would you like to go to church with me? Mm-hmm. Sunday? I said, Sunday? <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. I have to ask my mother. <laughs> You know, so I did. She said, well, yeah, I guess that. And he said, do you want to come home with me for lunch? I said, we always have a, my mother always fixes a big meal on mm-hmm. Sunday. Do you want to come home with me? And I'm thinking, this is going way too fast. A lot I don't of time even, in a few days. <laughs> I don't even know this guy. Right. <laughs> but I did. Yeah. I went, to, I went to the, you know, with him and I went to the church with him and then I went home with him and had lunch. Long story longer. We're Never ended ever since. Right? <laughs> he had his mind made up. I guess that time between he met me and then he first asked me out, that was Grant. Yeah. He was thinking. Mm-hmm. He was always thinking. He was probably the smartest person. And I don't say that because, 
you know, a lot of people, other people would say that in his work and things he did. He's probably the smartest person I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And he had to think things through. Mm-hmm. He evidently liked me a little bit, mm-hmm. but he had to think about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way his whole mm-hmm. life was, is yeah. thinking things through. And, you know, he always listened to everybody else's opinion. And he would change his mind mm-hmm. occasionally, not very often, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. you know. Well, what I love about that story, just thinking back to, you know, I, I got to know you all as a couple later in life mm-hmm. before he passed away. But I love that in, in those first interactions where he, he put you forward for cheerleader, right? Mm-hmm. And he uh, gave you the heads up about the pop quiz. Yes. And um, that, in some ways, I think Grant was always doing that, right? Yeah. That that was part of what he made was. your partnership so sweet that he took joy both in putting you forward and uh, looking out for you. And he did. Mm-hmm. He always looked out. I, later in life, I'll skip around a little bit. I had, uh, it's been about 25 years ago. We never thought that I would outlive him. Mm-hmm. It was just except, anyway, I had cancer and I was, it was really fourth stage and there wasn't a whole lot of hope. At least that's what they tell you, you and know. That was a long time ago. That was 25 yeah. years ago. Yeah. That's serious. And he spent every night, I was in the hospital with me, and I was in the hospital seven weeks. He'd go to work, he'd drive to Nashville, spend the night with me, get up, and he became a fixture there at the hospital. <laughs> you know, they gave us a room that had a shower. He'd take a shower, he'd, you know. Mm-hmm. Talked to me a little bit, then he'd hit the road. Yeah. And then, and there was no cell phones or anything back mm-hmm. then, so you couldn't, but he would, before he left the office, he would call and say, I'm fixing mm-hmm. to get on the road. Mm-hmm. Do you need me to go by the house and get anything or anything? And he came and spent every night of that seven weeks with me yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. So he was that kind of guy. He was yeah. just committed to what he was going to do, and he'd work it out however it needed mm-hmm. to be worked mm-hmm. out to do, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I think that would have, um, like you said, you had, while well, you had had some, some serious health uh, journey of yeah. yourself, you know, he had always been a really pretty healthy guy. I, I, right? Totally healthy. Right. Nothing wrong. Never broken a bone even. Mm-hmm. Almost <laughs> boringly know? healthy. Yeah, right? Boringly yeah. <laughs> healthy. <laughs> so, uh, so talk to me a little bit about when things began to change for him health-wise. What, what did that first start looking like and, and when did that start? I guess about two years before he died, he began to notice that he was having trouble with, he had had a hip replacement. That was, and nothing, that went fine. I mean, you know, he was up the next night mm-hmm. <laughs> walking down the hall mm-hmm. and he had n- never had any pain or anything, but his other side started hurting. And I guess that was the beginning of it. I don't know. So. That would have been, so he would have been mid-70s yeah. at that point, yeah, right? Yeah, he and, was 75 um, started at that ha- point. Started having mobility issues and mm-hmm. kind of take us into to what happened next. I know that it took a little while to figure out what it was going did. on. It did. It took almost a year to figure it out, you know. You know, they thought it was everything in the world. Everybody died, you know, and mm-hmm. age was a part sure. of it, you know, and rheumatism and all those mm-hmm. things you get when you're old. But he... 
he was a really smart guy. He, he knew that this was something, but I, he didn't really know about ALS. Not neither of us did. So we ended up. I mean, we went to different places. Nobody seemed to be helping him. And so he said, being the engineer and the scientist and the person that's got to figure everything out, he said, I'm going to Mayo Clinic. So we packed up and we went to Mayo Clinic. And at first they didn't know either. They said, you know, it could be, and that was, ALS was one of the things it could be, but they tried some, you know, other things and some medications and things and it was getting worse and he knew it was getting worse. So we went back to Mayo and then the doctor that we were going to, Brian went with us and my son, and that was a shocking thing. Because we didn't know about ALS. We just didn't know about it. I mean, you know, you've heard of it sure. and you knew what it was, but you didn't know. And that had not been anything. And surprisingly enough, somebody that reads about everything and diagnoses himself most of the time, <laughs> diagnosed me, diagnosed all of us. And he hadn't, that hadn't been something that had entered his mind at all. And I remember that distinctly when that doctor said, well, I've got some, maybe it's bad news. But, you know, it, we're sure, pretty sure of this, and it's ALS, and we, but we didn't know that much about ALS then. We didn't know that that was a death sentence right that day. So, you know, immediately he started researching that, and then he knew, you know. So, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that, because I can, um, as you begin to learn more about the diagnosis mm -hmm. and what that means, on the one hand, it's a disease that progresses. So he was having some issues, mm -hmm. but not yet like the issues he would eventually have. Mm -mm. But at the same time, it's my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, it, it is one of those diseases that is kind of a one-way street. It, it is it, a one-way street. It, there's it, no it, drugs, there's no medicine, there's it, no it just anything. Ends, it it ends just that way. And it affects different people, you know. Different ways, yeah. right. And so, the time frame is different for people. So what's that like? Because obviously there, Awful. there are plenty of, yeah, well, of course, yeah. there, you know, there are plenty of diseases like cancer like you experienced, mm -hmm. but there are plenty of diseases that can, can end in death, but, but it strikes me that there are often those diseases are diseases that either can end life, but there are also diseases that you can beat. Yeah. That it's a, you don't know, right? It's right. A, there's treatment, there's options, there's, there's a way to combat it or work through it. But that wasn't the case mm -mm. with this. So, there was no solution. So talk to me about that. How did that just impact you all, even even mentally and emotionally, as, yeah. as you came to realize that? Well, and, yeah. And like I said, I'd been sick, and they gave a bad, cloudy, you know, mm -hmm. she's probably not going to get well, this fourth mm -hmm. stage. Mm -hmm. But he never gave up. Mm -hmm. But he did give up on this mm. because he immediately went and read everything there is to know about ALS. He mm. could have diagnosed it. He could have told mm. the world what it's all about and every symptom and everything because that's just that how engine. it works and yeah, all that. how it works and and it was just it was hard for us to figure out how to handle it because mm -hmm. we know this is the end we just don't know the day mm -hmm. so you start living every day we tried to do as many things as we could but it's just hard I it was the hardest thing that I've ever been through, and I can imagine for him the solution maker to everything. Oh, I can fix that, or somebody knows how to do that. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, there was this disease that there's no hope. Mm -hmm. 
And I truly believe, knowing how strong-willed he was about accomplishing something, he was all in on everything. If he liked you, he was all in on you. <laughs> you know, if he wanted to do something for you, he was all in, you know, and he was all into his family and, you know, our kids and everything. And then all of a sudden there was this disease that there's no cure and you're going to get worse and worse. And he immediately started worrying about all of us. And I think normally as ALS goes, he should have lived longer. Mm. It would have been worse. Mm -hmm. But his legs were the first thing that left, you know, and he couldn't walk. But we handled that pretty well. Mm -hmm. We had all kinds of lifts and pulls and, mm -hmm. you know, he and I could manage it. We mm -hmm. didn't need anybody mm -hmm. there, although there was, the kids were in and they yeah. were wonderful. Yeah. And our daughter is a nurse, so she was from here to Atlanta, all the time kept the road hot and taking care of him and checking on him and everything. And Brian was there and he lived in Alabama at that time, but he just took a leave of absence from his work. He said, my dad's sick and he's not gonna get well and I'm gonna be with him. So you can give me a leave of absence or you can fire me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they did, they were really good about it. And so he was there a lot of the time too. But I think Grant and his strong will and his knowledge of everything and, you know, he could have written a book about ALS by the time this was over. He just made up his mind he wasn't going to live any longer. He wasn't going to go through all that. So he lost his ability to walk, and, but he never lost his ability to eat and he loved to eat. <laughs> he dearly loved to eat. He loved food. He loved restaurants. He knew the best restaurants all over the world. And... He, I guess it was uh, probably a year and a half. We managed pretty well. Mm -hmm. We had a routine and, you know, he did some reading and he watched some television. But it's always there, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that this is not going to last. And so he, I think when he began, and the reason I think this, I heard him talking to somebody else on the phone and, they evidently was asking him, you know, what was, how he was doing everything. And he said, well, my hands are beginning, I'm mm. beginning to have trouble with my hands. And of course that meant that it probably was moving up or however mm. it moves and the next thing would have been swallowing. Mm. And they had asked him right when he was diagnosed if he wanted to have a feeding tube and he said, absolutely not. Mm. And so I heard him say that over the phone to somebody because he hadn't said anything to me about it. But I knew that. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm watching. I'm mm -hmm. here. And I honestly think that man just decided to die. Mm -hmm. I, he was so strong-willed because it wasn't too long after that. And, you know, we mm -hmm. doing all the right things, doing the same things. But his hands were getting, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. eating was getting to be the problem. And it's just like... I don't know. One morning we got up the day he died. And I, you know, we had breakfast and all our routine that we did every day, getting him in his chair and everything. And I sat down there on a footstool there and we talked. We talked about everything. You know, we just talked about funny things and other things that had happened to us and everything. And he said, Well, I'm getting kind of tired. And I said, Okay. So he, Set, you know, he laid back, and that was not unusual for him okay. to take a nap. 
And so Christy came in. She was up there, and she came in. She said, Dad, sleeping, we need to be quiet. I said, well, I don't think we'll wake him up, mm -hmm. you know. And so as the day went on, he didn't wake up, mm. you know, and I asked him at lunchtime, I was, you know, you want something to eat? And he kind of opened his eyes and he just shook his head. Mm. So we just let him alone, you know, and then it was dinner time and I shook him and he didn't wake up much. I said, well, Christy, is he, you know, is he unconscious, her being a nurse mm. and everything? She said, well, you know, I don't know. She said, I really don't know. But, you know, when he did open his eyes, his eyes weren't dilated or anything or the, whatever you'd look for sure. that a nurse looked for. And so we just, we had our dinner right there, Christy and I did, and we just mm -hmm. sat there. The TV was on, and he was just laying there asleep. And I said, well, maybe we need to get him up and see if we can get him in the bed. I said, because I don't think he's going to wake up. Mm. And so we... We got him up. I tried to wake him up, and he looked at me, but he didn't say anything. Mm. We got him in the, this contraption he had. He had to move to the bed, and so we got it, and we got him to the bed, laid him down. His eyes were still closed, and Christy said, Mom, Dad's gone. Mm. She said, He's gone to heaven. And it was that easy for him. I mean, it wasn't easy right. for us. Sure. <laughs> you know? And, you know, we laid him down in the bed. And I said, what do we do now? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So right. we wow. called the funeral home thing. There was no need to call a doctor or anything. And then really how strange things happen. I don't know if you know Michael Bonner. He was mm. one of the mm -hmm. original members mm -hmm. of this church. Michael and I have been friends for years and years long before mm. this church ever came or I'd known him. And he heard the call go out to the ambulance to come mm. on his, you know, because mm. he's head of the ambulance mm. service in Coffee mm -hmm. County, I guess. And he heard that and he came in he knocked on my back door and opened the door and said, I know. Mm -hmm. And he came in and he handled everything for us. What so a gift from heaven. Because yeah. we were just, you know, we just hadn't expected it. I mean, we before. knew it was yeah. coming, but yeah. we didn't know it was coming so quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that, because I, I think you're right, knowing Grant, there were... Yeah. There weren't too many problems he couldn't solve. No. Nope. He, he was a lot no. of his life. He, no. That was what, part of what made him so special. Yeah. But... Um, it also sounds like, too, that that um, peace, which in a way was, I think, for him as a person of faith related to hope. Oh, yeah. Um, allowed for those last months to be hard, but still sweet. Yeah. In a way. Talk to me about that. What role did faith play for him and for you on that journey towards death? Yeah. Knowing that it was coming. Yeah, I guess maybe, I, I don't think it would have been much different if we had had a date. We just didn't talk about it much. We just knew it was there. Occasionally he would tell me something. He said, this, it's something about maybe finances or, hmm. or the house or something. He would tell me things. He said, you need to know this. And that's the way he'd do. Hmm. You need to know this. Hmm. <laughs> I said, okay, what do I need to know? You know, but we truly did not. We just kind of, and that, I, I never felt like, talk to me about this. Hmm. We're just going to ride this train, and when it stops, 
you get off or whoever gets off, Mm -hmm. and that's just the way we did it. We tried to live every day. We tried to laugh if we could find anything to laugh about, and we talked about everything in the world, and he he could have an opinion about everything in the world. He could find an opinion, right? (laughs) He could find an opinion. And we really didn't talk about the death. Again, he never said anything about it, and he never talked about a funeral or anything. He said, I know you'll do the right thing. And I think that's what he did. I'll do the best I can with this, but I'm ready to go. Right, right. So one of the things that, you know, your story reminds me of is in in Hebrews 11, it talks Mm -hmm. about how faith is confidence in what we hope for and Mm -hmm. assurance about what we do not see. And I'm curious because I think one of the things that stuck out to me as someone who got to walk with you all at a distance mm-hmm. through this journey, and I think other people did too, that it, um, there's a lot about um, ALS and that kind of diagnosis that could, could have made you all angry and bitter and resentful and all these different things at God or just the situation. And uh, not that there weren't days, yeah. that, there were, that there wasn't yeah. room for that, but... I think for any of us that got to spend time with Grant or with you all, it was generally a, I mean, it was a joyful Which is kind of what it would be normally. Exactly. So so talk to me a little bit about that, about, um, you know, how, how were you all able to do that? How did faith serve as a resource for you all in, you know, helping make those last days what they were yeah. in the face of that? Well, I think he had a really strong faith, and I think he didn't want this to happen to him, or nobody would, Mm -hmm. but I think he was, like I said, the smartest person I've ever Mm -hmm. known. He accepted things. Mm -hmm. He just, once he wrapped his head around this, I'm not going to get well. Mm -hmm. I'm just here, and I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I almost, like I said, think yeah. he decided I'm ready to go. There's no need for me to stay. It's hard. It's hard on everybody. And they're going to be fine. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what he always told me. You're going to be fine. When I was sick he and had cancer, and it was a bleak picture. It really was. They didn't give us much hope at all that I was going to get well. And Brian, uh, Brian Grant just didn't accept that. Mm-hmm. He just prayed. He said, one time I prayed to God that you would be healed. And he said, I prayed every day and every night after that, thanking him for mm-hmm. healing you. <laughs> he said, I never asked him again. I heard him tell that in a testimony. One time he never told that to me. Mm-hmm. He just said, I prayed that he healed you and that you will be yourself again and you will be able to be my wife and the mother of the children and the everything. And he said, then I thanked him every day as I drove to Nash- from Tullahoma to Nashville to spend the night with you. I thanked God mm-hmm. for his healing of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That assurance of things hoped for, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. You had to know Grant. He read everything there was to know about what he was doing, and then he set it aside. He never used a note. I never saw him use a note. In a Sunday, he taught Sunday school forever. I never saw him go in with any notes or anything. It was just in, he had one of those kind of minds, which I don't have. 
because I can't hardly remember where I was today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so he just... You could let it go freely. He just right? let it go freely. Yeah. You know, and I think he was setting it all up. Mm-hmm. I think in his mind, he had decided, I'm not going to go till I can't talk and I can't eat. And I had because, you know, like I said, they asked for a feeding tube. And he said, nope, no feeding tube, no anything. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's going to ride it out on yeah. his terms, yeah. you know. So it's, it's one thing to prepare for death. It's another thing to walk through it. Yes, and so there's more to the story, at least more to your story on the other side right. from these last two years. What can you share with us or what have you learned um, about how you navigated or are still navigating mm-hmm. that experience of loss? What have you learned in that journey? That I wasn't as strong as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was my backbone. I mean, I still miss Grant. I, I can cry every day mm-hmm. for missing him because he's been my life. Mm-hmm. It's sad, but I have a lot to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. And some days I think, I just can't stand this. Mm-hmm. I want to see Grant. I want to talk to Grant. I just, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd say, you know, God, why'd you leave me here? He'd, mm-hmm. he'd have done better than me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he would have done a lot better than with this than I'm doing, yeah. you know. And some days I, I could just cry my eyes mm-hmm. out. And I, people say, well, you stay at home a lot, but mm-hmm. that's where I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's his house. Mm-hmm. He built that house. He designed that house. He nailed every board in that hardwood floor, yeah, right. and I watched yeah. him. And that's where I'm closest to him. Mm-hmm. So I have to, I try to tell myself who has had more to be thankful mm-hmm. for. You know, I've had this wonderful man I've lived with and known since we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. I beat cancer mm-hmm. for a while, 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good while. Okay. And, you know, life is not all roses. Mm-hmm. So I have nothing to complain about, but it's hard. Sure. It's really hard. Is it fair to say that that uh, gratitude, which is a, a practice, right? It isn't just instantaneous. It's not a switch you flip. But no. Some, sometimes gratitude, at least my experience, mm-hmm. sometimes gratitude is one of those things you have to work at. Oh, my goodness, yes. Right? Yeah. But it, it sounds like gratitude, I think for a lot of folks that may be either um, you know, on a journey themselves towards the end of their life or walking the journey of a loved one mm-hmm. towards the end of their life, that... It sounds like for you, gratitude has been a pretty important source of fuel mm-hmm. in walking through it, even when it's hard, right? It doesn't cover over it, doesn't, um, doesn't consume it in Mm-mm. that way, but it, uh, as Grant would, facing yeah. it head on, <laughs> yeah. that's, it gives you the, the strength uh, to do that. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What, maybe what... Is there some advice or perspective on that that you could say to folks that are on their own journey towards death? Um, what would be some encouragement to say, let me encourage you in this last season how to spend that time or how to integrate your faith into uh, that yeah. to make it a rich time for them? I think you have to claim your faith. Hmm. 
I think that's why I don't, I mean, Grant didn't want to. He, he always, we always thought I'd be the first to go. Yes, I mean, yes, we had plans yes. for that. Right, right. <laughs> and that's not the way it turned out. But I think he claimed his faith and he was ready to go. And he did not want to go through all he would have to go through mm -hmm. if he stayed alive. And I think we have to claim that and say, mm -hmm. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. When you're ready for me, God, I mm -hmm. am ready. I think we still, even as Christians, we're all scared of death because we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So I've seen it up close. I saw my mother die. I saw Grant die. And, you know, it wasn't scary. Mm -hmm. It was sad. Mm -hmm. And it's still sad. Mm -hmm. And if I could snap my fingers and bring him back, I would. Yes. You know, he closed his eyes and he didn't and he looked so peaceful. Yes. And when Christy said, Mom, he's gone. Yes. And I said, what do you mean he's gone? Yes. She said, he's gone. Yes. He's not going to breathe again. He's gone. And it was like, well, he's in heaven. Yes. Or he's somewhere. Yes. Or he's yes. something. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so that gives me hope that we just live it out as long as we can and do the best we can with life. Okay. You know, am I sad? Yes, I'm sad. So sometimes I think I can't live another breath unless I can talk to him, <laughs> you know, or I could see him and it hurts my heart and I can just cry like it happened right now. But I think God can just take us. And we have to believe everything that we've been mm -hmm. taught all our mm -hmm. lives and confess to believe mm -hmm. that he's still in charge. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why Grant went before me. I was the one that was supposed to. We had that decided. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so what I do now, I wait for him to come and God to show up. And, mm -hmm. In whatever way. In whatever, whatever time. time. Yeah. yeah. So, listen, uh, Janet, thank you for your time today and well, for uh, stewarding your story and sharing that story with us that um, we are richer for, for knowing you and for knowing Grant. And so thank you for being That's here. That's Grant's story. That's right. It's always Grant's story. <laughs>